This is Metropolis, a podcast from Philadelphia's in-depth news and information website, online at phlmetropolis.com. I'm Matthew Petrillo. And with me is Ada Kalesha. She's here to talk about uh, a story about an urban forager. What, what does that mean? David Siller is secretive about his work, territorial even, which is understandable considering his line of work. He forages wild, exotic plants and sells them to restaurants and markets around Philadelphia. He's basically a hunter-gatherer in a Mazda pickup, so he wants to keep competition out of his territory. Foraging is not the first thing that comes to mind when people think about Philadelphia. But that's how David, who's 33, makes his living. He harvests edible plants from the forested and farmed pockets in the area. Exotics such as dandelion and mustard greens, mushrooms, Solomon seal, fiddleheads, and watercress. Some people have never even heard of these foods, which David sells to high-end restaurants like Pumpkin and Russet, but they're all around us, and today he's harvesting June berries, also known as service berry. What do you think that they're going to make out of these? That would be great with beef, like a sauce, ice cream. He's going to sell these berries to a restaurant that's ordered them. Uh, he has an order for 210 pints. Tell you what, this is my favorite, but it's also hard work. Shaking a tree, I'm out of breath. David spreads a tarp on the ground. He gets up into the tree and he shakes the tree so that the berries fall down the tarp. Once the tarp has a layer of berries on it, David lifts up the tarp so the berries form a puddle in the middle of the tarp. They get crushed easily, so he holds the pint cartons and has me lift the tarp so the berries fall into the cartons. You know, in Latin America, if you ever been down there, they see you can see them drying coffee greens on a tarp. Yeah. You can see like something of value for them. It's kind of like Americans taking all their money out of the bank account and uh, putting it on a tarp. David has long had a passion for local food, and he started his foraging business last year when he harvested baby ferns, the fiddleheads, for the chef at Pumpkin Restaurant. The business blossomed from there, but it's not a calling for just anyone. So is he a one-man ban, or is, is he doing this with other people? He does. Uh, he employs part-time employees from time to time okay. when he needs help, especially in the beginning of the spring when business is really good. So you can read more about David Siller at his website and blog at yosoybean.com and his foraging adventures at phlmetropolis.com. Thanks, Ada. <laughs> David Siller has a quirky, kind of unusual job. Now we meet a young woman who was looking for a job but finds something else. This Vox Pop is called Meeting Sam. It's written by Abby Sanders and read by Kate Ryan. Sam was a scrawny lab mix that I came upon one day at the corner of Six and Spring Garden Streets.
didn't have time for a proper introduction, so I crouched down and patted him on his knobby head. He scooted towards me and reached out his chin. He wore a collar, but his matted coat looked like it hadn't been touched in weeks. He was clearly down and out, and in a way, so was I. I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. The reality of moving to a new city proved far less glamorous than I had imagined. Traveling to the seedier outskirts of town for interviews only reinforced my feelings. The one at Spring Garden was my fourth interview in four days. I had luck getting noticed on paper, as they say. Sometimes I got second or even third meetings. But nine months after moving to Philadelphia, I still had no job. I ended up doing temp work to pay the bills. When I emerged from my interview, Sam was still there, only now he was laying in a patch of grass that looked as worn down as he did. I sat next to him and scruffed his ears, faintly missing my dogs from home, my real home, my growing up home. His name tag was scuffed. Half of the M was missing, so it looked like Sar. At one time, he had a home, probably licked water out of a bowl, maybe snuck naps on the couch. And now he was just a Sar, lost on the sidewalk. My landlord had pets, and as far as I could interpret, welcomed more. But the reality of my situation, financially strained, learning to cope in a new city, didn't seem appropriate. One has to be fully settled to take in a dog. I called the number on Sam's tags countless times, listening to the phone ring and ring. That day on Spring Garden, after my interview, I stood up awkwardly, trying not to rip my modest skirt, and walked without much of a destination in mind. I was resigned to the fact that my life, for now, would be spent getting to whatever's next. Weeks and weeks slid into months searching for jobs. I was focused solely on some distant time in the future when I would have work friends and go to happy hours. I hadn't even realized that for almost a year, I'd been in a constant, self-imposed transition, waiting. Being settled was going to take time. For about 20 minutes of circling the same block, I stopped and looked at Sam, sprawled out now, head stretched unnaturally behind him on the asphalt. I made a clicking sound and his head popped up in my direction. He came toward me at a gangly trot, his protruding hips bumping up and down. I looped two fingers under his damp collar and gave a gentle tug. Come on, buddy, I said as we headed home, together. You can read more personal essays in the Vox Pop section of Metropolis at phlmetropolis.com. Our last story takes you to what was probably uncharted territory a year ago. Prior to the previous superintendent leaving, it was really difficult for reporters to get into public schools. Now, Metropolis has investigated charter schools in multiple cover stories, but today we explore the core subjects in Philadelphia's public schools. Those are the art and music programs. And we begin in a class at Albert M. Greenfield Elementary. I like that it's something that you can, it's something where you can express your feelings. Students here really love their music class. Music is supposed to like inspire you, you know, calms you down. If we didn't have music, it would kind of be depressing because that's sort of like 
the really only place in school where we get to like express our feelings. I want the kids to grow with me and I think uh, as the years go by, Things are just going to get better and better. Phil Romeo is a music teacher at Greenfield Elementary School. Uh, yes, and I intend to stay here until I retire. <laughs> but that just isn't the case anymore in Philadelphia's public schools. Because of the economic recession from four years ago and steep budget cuts from the state, art and music programs have been hit hard. Schools just can't afford both, even after Mayor Michael Nutter raised property taxes 15% over the last three years. My other favorite piece is this elephant right here. Tyler Davis likes music class. I don't know who created it because I might have been absent, but that is a very good elephant. But he really loves art. Elephants don't use gas unless you talk about farting. So, <laughs> so you want to ride around an elephant instead of cars? It opens up his imagination. Yes. Allows him to get creative. Elephants, they may be slow, but... They don't ever use gas, so that's saving a lot of money. Tyler shows me some art pieces he made from clay. I was trying to make a schoolhouse, but then I was like, eh, this is too tall to be a schoolhouse. <laughs> so I decided to make it like a fire station. The way his imagination runs with art is obvious, but oddly enough, his school doesn't have an art teacher. So for a while, he and other students just stopped having art. Well, I think that people consider art as something that's extra, something that's not necessary to learn the basic knowledge like English, math, science, but I think that it's crucial in understanding the world and where you are in it and what what's valuable and what's important to you. The school took an alternative option. Some parents felt obligated, so they applied for and received a grant to pay for outside organizations to come in. One was called the Claymobile, Tyler's favorite piece was in it. That is a very good elephant. Dorian Dean is an instructor at the Claymobile. Explorations through different materials, whether it's clay, painting, paper, any kind of material, put yourself in a position of, of taking other things that you're learning and putting it in a uniquely personal understanding. She says cutting that will have significant consequences. So I think it's absolutely critical to any, any child's education. Art requires you to work and collaborate. It's about problem solving. And you gotta think outside of the box. But these indefinite short-term cuts could have lasting repercussions. Anna Meyer Farthingcole was also an instructor here. She says cutting art can stifle other ways of learning. It's like if you're constantly um, encouraged to maybe learn about something and then regurgitate it in the same manner, it becomes, or like, I guess reproduce it in the same manner, it becomes like a regurgitation. Whereas like in art a lot, it's a process. So you can see things that, like in the houses and in the transportation that we did in this class, you can see things that they learned about outside of what we talked about in class. The current budget gap is around $94 million, and next year is projected to more than double that. With such high budget gaps, the district has forced public schools to choose between either music or art. Schools in Philadelphia usually don't have both, they either have one or the other, and recently it's falling off the shoulders of the school and city and on top of others. For instance, over at Thomas Mifflin Elementary School, Principal Leslie Mason says the school doesn't have a music teacher. Oh, music teacher. How, how long has that been for? 
two years. Two years. We have an instrumental one day a week for students who want violin and that's it. That's especially a problem to students who look forward to a spring music concert. Aziz is a fifth grader at Thomas Mifflin Elementary. My name is Aziz and today I was Michael Jackson. His school hasn't had music for more than two years, so the teachers have made up for the loss. Learning to dance was tough because kids today, they don't um, appreciate that you can't just freestyle all the time. <laughs> we got a lot of kids doing this in the beginning. I was like, no, you can't do that. But it was really fun. The show did go on, but that's not always the case. Back at Greenfield, the school only has music. There is no art program. That's not good for students like Tyler. What, what is it you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an architect, an artist, or I want to be an electrician. Or I would just want to be a rapper sometimes. <laughs> I start getting that feeling when I start beatboxing like <laughs> Two out of three of those heavily deal with art. <laughs> this doomsday isn't about children not being able to rap. It's about exercising their minds. So while teachers at Thomas Mifflin took on teaching music since their music teacher was cut, Greenfield took another approach. Having art meant the responsibility basically falling on the shoulders of parents. We decided that um, we would get together a bunch of parents and uh, try to figure out a way to um, push to have a, a full-time staff art teacher for next year and also try to talk about ways to get the school district to um, make art education a priority, uh, which is obviously a longer term uh, effort. And they did a decent job too, teaching themselves, trying to get free trips, and even applying for grants to get money. Well, I don't think it should be a substitution for having art teacher by any means. But it recently has become a substitute. Gretchen Elise Walker works at Public Citizens for Children and Youth. I've run the Picasso Project, mm -hmm. which is a program we started in 2002. It does two different things. One, give immediate assistance and immediate infusion of, um, of support to schools that are under-resourced in the arts. And it advocates for stronger support. We go to private funders and individual donors. Greenfield is a really nice school. Yeah, well, it was striking that Greenfield, as an example, which is traditionally seen as one of the most affluent and thriving schools in the city, cut their art teacher because of budget cuts. The question is now, what do people want out of their public schools? Do they want music and art? They're programs that are instrumental to teach students a broad range of skills that make them groomed members of society. Catherine Bertels just graduated from the University of Pennsylvania. She majored in nursing, but minored in fine art. Art just kind of helped keep me level-headed, and it was something I enjoyed. So, plus it's just a good outlet when you get stressed. But what would school be like, like grade school, if there were no art programs? Huh, I can't even imagine, but I feel like if... Just for me, when I think about grade school, the art classes was something that I really enjoyed and looked forward to. In grade school, that's when I first realized I enjoyed art from taking art classes. We had like art lessons on like famous artists like Van Gogh, and then we'd also like paint. And I learned all the different types of mediums to work with. And I don't think if I'd learned it there, I would have ever really have built upon that. Um, I think it was like the potential that people saw in me as they pushed me to push it further. And even though I didn't make a career out of it, I think it's added a lot of meaning to my life. It's helped me. But recently, there's been a stronger focus on standardized test scores to maintain the funding in schools. Now, education should be city's biggest priority. Without a good education system, people can't get well-paying jobs, and the city can't collect a stronger tax base. 
The city does have a plan to make some of that money up, and to explain it, I talked to Tom Farrick. He runs our parent site, phlmetropolis.com. Well, that's a hell of a question. <laughs> I'm sitting with Tom Farrick right now at... Cosi. Cosi. At Walnut Street. And we're talking about AVIs, uh, which are... AVI is an acronym. It stands for Actual Valuation Initiative. It's a terrible acronym, and it's a terrible name, but it's a simple idea. What they're doing, the city, citywide, the city government, is taking all the old assessments we have on commercial and private property in the town, and they're reassessing them now as we speak to bring them up to true market value. And the reason they're doing this is because this reevaluation of property has not been done in any systematic way for more than a dozen years. So a lot of these uh, valuations on property are old and unrealistic. And as a consequence, they're unfair because there are people who have seen huge growth in their property, but it's not reflected in their market value and people who, relatively speaking, have lost value. And so they are paying too much tax, real estate tax, and others are paying too little. I put that word in quotes. So this this is something we should obviously be concerned about. Why is this city care about it now? The Nutter administration has sort of run helter-skelter towards getting this enacted this year. But it's complicated. Everything in life is complicated. And this requires the legislature to approve certain changes. It requires council to pass certain legislation. So far, none of that has happened. Now, it could happen. None of it has happened. To ameliorate the impact of the tax, the administration and council has decided they're going to give people what they call a homestead exemption. It's a fixed dollar amount that you can take off of your market value. For the first time in decades, the city gained an increase in population, according to the last census, and, and that has a whole bunch of benefits. The population increase was mostly in these these nicer neighborhoods like Center City and Fairmount and Rittenhouse. Could, could this scare away prospect residents? Well, I think it could in this way. If you are a, a couple in your late 20s who are looking to buy a home and have some money down and have a budget for it, you're going to look at a home somewhere and you're going to say, okay, we can afford that house. It's $250,000, right? Well, right now, its market value may be $70,000, $60,000. Presumably, when the new tax come in, it's going to be $250,000 or thereabouts. So your tax bill is going to be higher than perhaps you budgeted. One of the things that makes Philly really attractive compared to like Washington or New York is that to live here is so cheap. Well, your rents are going to go up. Right. Because if you're, whoever owns your, it's a house. Yeah. 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 Whoever owns your house is going to end up paying higher taxes. What they will do is pass it on to the tenants. They're not going to eat it all. You know, so your your the rents are going to go higher. Uh, it's just inevitable. If, if, if you're in a neighborhood that has seen this kind of growth, which are the desirable neighborhoods. So that's going to affect people's decisions. But you're right. Philadelphia remains a lot cheaper to live than in Washington or New York because it's Philadelphia. <laughs> it's not New York. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's cheaper. <laughs> That's its advantage, you know. So the ABI, it has, like, a lot of good intentions, uh, but there's a lot of parts of it that's kind of flawed. It's a change that must be made, and it makes a lot of sense. The question is, how do you execute the change? You know, how do you make it so that people understand it, so that it's transparent, so you don't have secret or hidden agendas? Um, and I'm afraid that what the Nutter administration has done is, like I said, they screwed the pooch because it hasn't been transparent, they haven't been forthcoming, they did try to tax on tax increases. So they took what was going to be a large, major, difficult, and somewhat traumatic change and made it larger, more difficult, more traumatic for people. And, and there's, no good, there's no need to do that.
You can weigh in about ABI and more at phlmetropolis.com. 